Would you please join me in 1 Timothy chapter 4? You don't have a copy of God's Word. You are welcome to grab one from the pew back in front of you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, towards the end of your Bibles there, will be our key text today. We continue our sermon series on instructions from Paul to Timothy, his son in the ministry, of how he should live his life and how we as believers in Jesus should live our lives. Let's pray together first. Our Father in heaven, we have to agree with Eric that the lyrics of those song, that song is absolutely true, that fear is a liar. That fear keeps us from faith. And fear tells us all those things that come straight from Satan and straight from the depths of our humanness, and so many times overcome what you are trying to do in us by your Spirit. And as you call us to live a life submitted to Christ. So Father, as we confess that fear is a liar, we also pray that you would help us to overcome the things that have us afraid. Whether that be financial or relationships, health, whatever it is, Father, we come before you and we pray that by your spirit, you would speak to us today and we would be encouraged to overcome our fears just as we study overcoming false teachers. So we thank you, Father, for your presence among us today by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word with you and you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading Scripture, would you do so as we read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 16? And then we have a few verses in chapter 6 as well, which may require a page turn for you, but I think you can do it. The Spirit clearly said that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For God create, everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of good teaching that you have followed, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, rather train yourselves in godly value for physical, or God, uh, to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity." 
Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And then in chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, it says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. May God add to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Thank you. You heard in there our Scripture memory verse of the month, and we'll uh, ask John to go back and put that one up there. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let's say that together. 1 Timothy 4, 12. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 1 Timothy 4.12 And if you've been here before, you've heard me say this, but not all of you have. Look at that first line. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are fill in the blank. Why do you think people look down on you? What is it about you that you've judged yourself more harshly or critically than maybe God by His Holy Spirit would? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're old. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're uneducated. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're from this place. Don't let anyone look down on you because this happened in your past. That's what the lies of the devil in our world says, that you should and others should look down on you. But Scripture says, do not let anyone look down on you because any limitation of who you are or your past, but you set an example in the way that you live. That verse really is emblematic of our entire passage today because as we talk about overcoming false teaching, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, here's some things you should do But more than that, he's saying, here's who you should be. As a follower of Jesus, your life ought to be so filled with the Spirit and God's Word that you live in a different way, that your actions follow your being. So let's move on through our Scripture. Your first point on your outline this morning is uh, the question, where does false teaching come from? Where does false teaching come from? Well, uh, let's go back to our scripture. It comes straight from there. It's where our answer is. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Whoa. So those that are abandoning the Christian faith, they're actually following deceiving spirits and taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared As with a hot iron. So the answer to your question, where does false teaching come from, is from deceiving demons and deceived people. 
People that have been deceived by these pass it on as if it is true. And they try to invite others into their falsehood. And they're constantly trying to recruit others to follow their way of life and their way of teaching. So uh, we, we, we haven't defined what the false teaching is yet, but we do know that there is false teaching. Now remember, early in our sermon series, I talked about it as a fake gospel. Uh, fake, false, same sort of thing. Gospel is the good news that God loves you and sent His Son Jesus to die for you. And then all else that flows from that as far as doctrine and theology from God's Word is based on that gospel, that good news. And so when Paul uses this phrase, false teaching, false doctrine, your scripture might say, he's talking about all things that are contrary to the message of grace and mercy that God loves you And he sent Jesus to die for you. And he wants you to live with that same grace and mercy as you relate to others. Consider what the scripture says about the devil. If you were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, you might just write down that reference. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 through 5. It says the devil came as a serpent. And what did he do? The very first encounter of the devil with a human being the second created human being, Eve, he tells her a lie. And he tells her another lie. And he tries to get her to lie. He's deceiving through lies. That's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You think about in Scripture, that Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, that talks about putting on the whole armor of God. The first piece of armor it talks about is the belt of truth. And that we need the belt of truth to secure all the rest of uh, our armor in defense against the lies of the devil. Now, you're in 1 Timothy. If you're able to, would you turn back to John with me? So the Gospel of John. So you're going to have to go back in your Bibles to the left. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John there at the beginning. John's just on the other side of Acts. And John chapter 8. Because I... It's just so amazing and appropriate that Eric sang that song, Fear is a Liar. But if fear is a liar, then fear comes from the devil because he's a liar. We're going to find out what Scripture says about him. Listen, it's Jesus himself speaking. He says in John 8, 44, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You might need to remember that scripture verse. If you don't remember the verse, at least remember the idea that lies are the devil's native language. When the devil speaks, he's lying. Now, there are some of you here that were born in other countries, and you grew up speaking another language, and all of us as Americans are amazed at you that you could come to America like Pastor Angel and learn English so well, because Americans suffer from a disease of the tongue, monolingual myopia, which means we can only speak one language. But people from the rest of the world seem to be able to speak all kinds of languages. But remember, when the devil speaks... His language, his native language is lies. Think about John 10.10. John 10.10 says the thief, talking about the devil, comes only to steal, 
kill, and destroy. And Jesus says there in John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So on the one hand, you have the devil whose native language is lies, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything about your life, and he's going to do it through lies. But on the other hand, you have Jesus, God's one and only Son, who comes to give you life and give it abundantly. And he does it by the truth, and the truth that will set you free. So let's come back to 1 Timothy. If we know that false teaching comes from the devil and his demons and from people that have been deceived by them because lies are their native language, the question is, how do we know when it's false teaching? How do we know when it's fake? If it just doesn't sound right? I mean, can we trust ourselves if we are sinful by our nature? Well, Scripture addresses that for us. Our next question on your outline is, what is the problem with false teaching? What is the problem with false teaching? And we get an indication of that in verse 3. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to receive with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Now, keep in mind, this is written to a specific church in a specific situation, but it's recorded in Scripture so that all churches through all times can understand the truth of it and the principle behind it, right? So what's the principle behind this? The problem with the church there in Ephesus was that folks were teaching, you can't get married for this reason or that reason, and you can't eat these foods for this reason or that reason. But that's not what Scripture taught. That's not what, by grace through faith, Paul had taught. And so what you see is indicative of false teaching. And the problem with false teaching is this. They generally major on the minors. Now, I know that's a cliche, but I use it on purpose so you'll remember it. and You could write it down. False teaching generally majors on the minors. They make a big deal about something that's not a big deal. The big deal is Jesus, okay? Can I get an amen? And Jesus, by grace, set you free because of God's love for you. And he set you free from all sorts of sinfulness, but he also set you free from the legalism and judgmentalism that false teachers tend to try to bring because they make a big deal out of little things. Anytime you see a pastor or a church coming back week after week after week after week to one or two scriptures. And then you look in the rest of your Bible and you say, the rest of the Bible doesn't talk a lot about those things. But this pastor and this church keeps coming back to these very few little ideas, whether it's health, wealth, and prosperity, or you know, certain gifts of the Spirit. You have to wonder if they've strayed from the truth of the gospel and they've gotten into false teaching. Chances are they probably have. That's what the problem with false teaching is. Anytime you see Jesus plus, it's false teaching. Jesus plus, you got to do this as well. It's false teaching. The Bible plus, you got to have this book as well. It's false teaching. And yes, by saying that, friends, I just called out some of our friends that belong to Mormon churches. When you have the Bible plus the Book of Mormon, and you say, ah, well, we have the Bible, but the Book of Mormon, and they follow everything in the Book of Mormon, and they just give lip service to the Bible, it's false teaching. 
Anytime you have the Bible plus or Jesus plus, it's false teaching. What does Scripture say of itself? Write down Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 and 19. God says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. In other words, if you add Add to or take away from God's word, you are doomed and you are cursed to eternity in hell. That's what God's word says. That's the truth. Because you don't mess with the truth. But the problem with liars is they always mess with the truth, don't they? Twist it a little bit here, bend it a little bit there, shade it a little bit there, put a little spin on it here. False teaching does that. Your third question on your outline is how do we counter false teaching? How do we counter false teaching? Verses 4 and 5. Well, you have this understanding. For everything God created was good. If it's received with thanksgiving, because it's consecrated by the word and prayer. You counter false teaching by looking at the essence of what God created and realizing God's creations are good. And if you pray about those things, and if you are thankful for those things... That's how you begin to counter false teaching. That one's a quick answer. We're moving on to number four. I know you were worried about me based on how much further I got to go on my outline, but we needed to build that basis for what false teaching is and the devil being a liar and Jesus plus and the Bible plus. So we're moving quickly now. Let's see. Your fourth question on your outline. What's wrong with false teachers? What's wrong with false teachers? We get that from chapter 6. Now, why do we go over to chapter 6? Because there's just those three verses there that talk about false teaching. And it's the same small book. And so uh, rather than preaching two sermons on false teaching, I said, let's just put this one in because it fits. Notice what we see about the false teachers themselves. Look at activities and look at character qualities or listen to them as I read them again. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with sound instruction, so if it doesn't agree with sound instruction, if it isn't what you've heard from the Bible before, isn't what you see when you read the Bible yourself consistently across Scripture. So that's one indicator of our Lord Jesus Christ and godly teaching. Then notice, he is conceited and understand nothing. Most of the time, false teacher types tend to be conceited. They're right and everybody else is wrong. There's not a lot of grace with them, not a lot of mercy with them. Go on. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. Now, friends, I have to say that you have heard from this very pulpit and you should hear from this very pulpit when I explain to us Greek words and Hebrew words because words have meaning and meaning is important and especially if they're in the Bible, God wants us to know it and understand it to the nth degree. But if I have an unhealthy interest in one or two words and I make big, small things, then you've got to be worried about me as your preacher up here that result in, look at the results of these things. So here's how you know a false teacher. If behind the Sunday face, if behind the nice suit, if behind all those good things you see envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between a corrupt man, mind of men who have been robbed of the truth and who think godliness is a means to financial gain. Hmm. Anybody in the news recently that's supposed to be a gospel preacher that wanted to buy a 
I mean, you saw it on social media and on the news as well. $54 million for a jet. Godliness is a means to financial gain. The Bible defines that person as a false teacher right there. You don't have to want a $54 million jet to use godliness as a means to financial gain, however. The Bible shows us the type of person to watch out for as a false teacher. Let's move on to your fifth point. And that is, who can best overcome false teaching? Who can best overcome false teaching? Back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 here. And Paul defines the character and the activity of the type of person that can overcome false teaching. And these are Christ followers. Each and every one of these subpoints here are Christ followers. The first one is Christ followers that are engaging the Bible. Christ followers that are engaging the Bible. Verse 6, I point these things out to you, brothers, so that you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and good teaching that you have followed. So this is where he speaks specifically to Timothy, his son in the ministry. And again, Timothy is an example for us of how to live. And so what does Paul say to Timothy? I tell you about false teachers that here's what they're going to be like, and here's how they're going to take uh, you know, liberties with God's word, and here's how they're going to deceive you because they're following demons that are deceived, and they've become deceivers themselves. And here's how you should be different, Timothy. You should daily, regularly read the Bible and live by the Bible as you've been taught. The reason... We preach the Bible for 30 to 40 minutes every Sunday morning in this worship service is that the Bible is central to our faith. The Bible is God revealing himself to us. And by his Holy Spirit and through Christ Jesus, we hear the words of God directly that make us different, that change who we are in our very heart and mind and spirit and soul. And it's when we engage the Bible, read it, hear it, meditate on it, memorize it, write about it, journal about it, talk about it, that our lives are transformed. Because when we know the truth, what did Jesus say about the truth? The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. That we're different when we have the truth of the Bible. Let's look at your second answer there. Who can best overcome false teaching? The first answer was engaging the Bible. The second one is avoiding ungodliness. Avoiding ungodliness. Well, yeah, we're supposed to avoid ungodliness, Pastor Aaron. I mean, you know, we we don't want to sin. Well, yes, but look. Let's read what it says. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Yes, the Scripture usually actually uses that phrase, old wives' tales. I mean, that goes back to the Greek. So the phrase old wives' tales, I mean, nothing against wives. I'm sure husbands have some old tales too. But that phrase old wives' tales, that phrase goes back to Greek. It's not from, you know, Americana uh, 200 years ago. It's in the Greek, man. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And then he gives an example for physical training as some value, but godliness of value in all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And this is a trustworthy saying, he says, that deserves full acceptance. Paul's used that phrase five different times in this book. In other words, he's saying these things that I just told you, you need to do them. You need to engage the Bible 
And you need to avoid ungodliness because if you get caught up in those controversies, caught up in those wives' tales that we have talked about early in our sermon series that it appeared that ladies in the church in Ephesus were trying to dissuade them and talk about all sorts of stuff that didn't matter. They were majoring on the minors. That was the root of their problems. Let's look at our third answer. is Christ followers focusing on God. Christ followers focusing on God. Verses 10 and 11. He says, And for this we labor and strive and have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. We focus on who God is and teaching His truth. And as we focus on who God is and teaching His truth, our lives are transformed and we put up barriers against false teachers in our own lives and in the lives of others. Now, I don't know if you noticed this morning, but I got new glasses. And I got them just yesterday. And they are progressive lenses, so if you see me moving my head more than normal, it's because I'm trying to find out where things are focused, right? Normally, I had, you know, single vision glasses, and when I looked at you, you guys looked all perfect and lovely. And if you never noticed before, I read under my glasses, and, uh, you know, thankfully, the print in my Bible is just big enough, and the print here, I make 18-point font, so it's really big, so I didn't have to wear reading glasses up here, right? That was my trick, right? 18-point font on the iPad, so um, I can see it and not have to do it. But now... I've got these silly progressive lenses, and um, so if I hold my head just right, like two or three or four lines of Scripture come into focus, but all the rest is blurry. It's crazy. Trifocal. I remember this comedy routine from a long time ago of a comedian that got trifocal lenses. Now, yes, they had lines in them. And he said he walked out of the optometrist's office and he was going to get in his car and he pulled out his key and it looked like the you know, door to the, key, the car was a mile away and he was going to step off the curb and it looked like it was the Grand Canyon. And, and then he, he was worried about how he would get home and he, there was actually a payphone involved. He went to the payphone that he parked beside and pulled a nickel or a dime out and it looked as big as a pipe pie and he thought oh how am I going to do this and he, he dialed the numbers with great labor looking through these trifocal glasses and his wife says to him take the glasses off and come home because without these silly glasses you're all a little bit blurry but you're uniformly blurry When I put these silly glasses on, wow, you're in focus. But you're only on focus right where my nose points and right about here. And then here it gets blurry and there it gets blurry. They said to me, oh, you'll get used to them. I'm trying. I'm trying. But I use that, obviously, to illustrate our third point there. Focusing on God. I've got to learn to look through the right portion of these lenses. I'm looking at a distance. It's up here. I'm looking at my screen. It's right here. I'm looking to read. It's right here. And things on the edges are blurry. They're out of focus because the way the lenses are ground. Could we train ourselves to do the same thing as we focus on God? 
that we look right through the middle, right at the sweet spot, at the God of the whole universe who loved us and gave his son Jesus to die for us, to set us free. And when we read God's word, could we be so focused that we're just like me in these glasses right now that I get a few lines of text that are in focus. And those are the lines of text that I'm going, okay, Holy Spirit, speak to me through these lines of text. Teach me, change my mind, change my heart so that I'll be different. Let's move on to your fourth point. Living in Christ-like character. Living in Christ-like character. That's another one of those, well, uh, yeah, Pastor Aaron, we're supposed to do that all the time, not just to counter false teachers. But look at what it says there in verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and faith and love and faith and purity. Excuse me, I got them out of order. It's the glasses. (laughs) That your character... No matter who you are or where you come from, no matter what the world may say are negatives or detriments or strikes against you, you can always choose to do the right thing. And by the Holy Spirit, you can do that. Look at verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Get to your fifth point. Seeking to grow others. Notice what he says in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Now, Timothy, that Paul was writing to, was called to be a pastor. And is this passage of Scripture alluded to, and other ones as well, that men laid hands on him, men set him aside to teach him. Paul had trained him up to be a pastor and he's left him in charge of the church at Ephesus as a pastor now. So Timothy's specific job is to preach and to teach. But for us, as we look at this scripture, what does it say to us? It says, even if we may not be called to be a pastor, even if we may not be ordained by the laying on of hands, as believers in Jesus, we should still be seeking to share what we know with others so that they might Grow too. Most of you are good people. And if you know something good, you want to teach somebody else. Hey, here's a better way to vacuum this floor. Here's the best way to clean these windows. Oh, you know what? This place is the best place in town to buy that. I went there before and they were pretty good, but this one was the best. By nature, we want to share advice to help others' lives be better and more enjoyable. To do things the right way. Do the same thing with what you know of God's word. Let's look at your sixth point. The sixth and final point for our sermon this morning is exercising spiritual gifts. Verse 14 and 15. Do not neglect your gift. Now, he's talking about the specific gift of being a pastor, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Devote yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Timothy, you've been set aside as different. And everybody ought to see that in you because it honors God and because you work at it. Now, friends, you may not be called to be a pastor. If you are, that would be great. And we're going to have an invitation here in about one minute. And you can walk down and you can tell everybody God's called you to be a pastor. We'll celebrate that and we'll work to train you up and send you out, okay? But you're all gifted in some way. 
All of us have our unique shape for ministry, right? Our spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personalities, our experiences. That shape that makes us who we are. And like I say, you are the only you there is. And you're the only person that can live like you as Christ for the people in your life. So you need to exercise your spiritual giftedness diligently. Not only to combat the false teaching of the world all around us, but to lead others to Jesus. Now, you may have put up your sermon outline. If you did, shame on you. John chapter 14. One more scripture you want to write down because here's the key, right? You're listening to this and you're going, dude, Pastor Aaron, that's a great list of stuff to do, but that's a lot of stuff to do. How do I do it? Here's the key right here. The key is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor. Literally, that word paraclete means one who comes alongside like a lawyer who represents you to the court before the judge, right? Somebody that knows more than you do, but has got your back. I will give you another, the counselor to be with you forever. And what does it say in verse 17? The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you, and he will with you, and he will be in you. Friends, if you want to know how to live against false teachings, if you want to know against uh, how to live in the lies of this world, all you have to do is say, okay, God, I've trusted Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord, and I know that you've given me the Holy Spirit to live in me, and he is the Spirit of truth. Would you let the spirit of truth come out through me? Would you let the spirit of truth help me understand? Would you let the spirit of truth guide me as I do in order that I might live for you? Let's pray. God, our Father, we're so very thankful that you gave us Jesus to save us from our sins and that you also gave us the Holy Spirit to carry us through until the day that we get to go to heaven. And so, God, we pray that if there's any person here today who hasn't trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would recognize their own sinfulness and that they would believe Jesus is your Son and confess Him as your Savior, their Savior and Lord. And God, for all of us who are believers in Jesus, but maybe we've let some false teachings or falsehoods get in our life and have dissuaded us from following the truth and being messengers of the truth. Would we confess that to you? God, whatever we need to do as we sing, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.